Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, we've been discussing Priscilla Shearer's book on prayer titled Fervent, A Woman's Battle Plan for Serious, Specific, and Strategic prayer. And we ended last week talking about how she had developed 10 strategies based on a poll she took from different Christian women. So she used this poll to determine the strategies that Satan uses against us. And we also mentioned last week that in each of these strategies, she begins with, if I were your enemy, I would. So, I mean, I, I think we can all agree that we really can't determine spiritual truths based on taking a poll? Yes, that's very common in popular evangelicalism and has been for a long time. And part of that is really a weak understanding of authorial intent in regard to the Bible. What does the Bible tell us we need to know? And what we think we need and what we feel and what we might, you know, respond in a poll as to what we need in our problems, whether it's confusion or need for purpose. Thinking of a previous uh, poll that was done, people want to find purpose, they want to be whatever. Our perceived needs don't determine what we need to believe or what we need to do, because God has told us things in his word that are clear And they may not be what we even think we need. That's right. Now, in with these strategies, she lists different Bible verses as kind of proof texts for her claims. So we're going to spend this episode just looking at these strategies and looking at the Bible verses. Now, she doesn't actually state what the verse says. It's just a reference in parentheses. And so it kind of it becomes the reader's responsibility to look up those verses and see if they say what she says they say, or if if that's actually a valid application of those verses. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to walk through each one of them and read those scriptures and just determine, okay, is this scripture telling us what Satan is doing or not? Okay, so strategy one was against your passion. And she says, he seeks to dim your whole desire for prayer dull your interest in spiritual things, and downplay the potency of your most strategic weapons. And she begins that chapter with, if I were your enemy, I'd seek to dim your passion, dull your interest in spiritual things, and dampen your belief in God's ability and his personal concern for you, and convince you that the hope you've lost is never coming back and was probably just a big lie to begin with. And the text she used to support that is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. So now listeners, we spent a long time on that last year going over the armor of God, but that's what she's referring to there. Right. Now, this gets rather complex. If we start trying to turn these things into what we need to say or do, whatever, when in fact we need to believe the promises of God. And we talked about that. Yes. And be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God. There have been so many allegorical ad, uh, uses of that over the centuries of church history. 
that it's amazing if anybody actually understands the author's meaning, that is Paul's meaning. Right. And what we have in this text is a call to stand firm and proclaim the gospel boldly. Right. I don't believe this text is intended to tell us what Satan is doing against us. It's telling us what we need to do regardless of what Satan is doing. Right. If you if you read through the text, there's analogies, but it's making a point that we're safe in Christ and we need to stand firm. And the reality that there are such forces and they are arrayed against us has been used in so many different ways. You need to know what each one is. Well, we don't. There's no taxonomy of demons we need to know. We need to know what armor may or may not have meant back then. Well, that may be helpful, but the fact is we need to stand firm in the gospel. So we did talk about this verse last week, and if you caught that, we did mention that prayer is not a part of the armor. The the paragraph break there really does matter. Prayer is our response with all of those things, and it's a prayer for gospel boldness. It's not a prayer against Satan. Exactly. All right. Strategy two, against your focus. He disguises himself and manipulates your perspective, so you end up focusing on the wrong culprit, directing weapons at the wrong enemy. Now that's quoting Priscilla Shearer. Her proof text for that is 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Do you want to read that? Sure, I will. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So does that have anything to do with our focus? I don't see that having anything to do with our focus. We need to be aware of false teachers and wolves in our midst, but that is not our focus, especially when it comes to prayer. Yes, and it's one thing to throw out a proof text that really has nothing to do with what's being taught, and that's very common. Yeah. Yeah. Whether intended or not, such use of Scripture diminishes our view of Scripture. Wow. Yeah, that's true. If the, We believe that God inspired the Scripture, the Holy Spirit inspired the Scripture. The meaning is determined by the Holy Spirit-inspired author, not by the reader. Okay. The power of God to change us and to forgive sins and to deliver us from Satan doesn't come through someone's imagination about what the scripture might mean. And misapplied scripture is powerless. Wow, that's true. And as we often say, the author determines the meaning. And I don't think what she is saying is what Paul intended with this passage. And to take it a step further, here's her, if I were your enemy, quote for this strategy too. If I were your enemy, I'd disguise myself and manipulate your perspective so that you'd focus on the wrong culprit, your husband, your friend, your hurt, your finances, 
anything or anyone except me. So, again, the text tells us that we need to beware of false apostles, deceitful workers, people. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light means we need to know the truth and what that is so that we're not deceived by Satan's lie. It isn't about focus. In other words, there are people who are very focused, very successful, and they don't even believe the gospel. They don't believe in Christ. Right. And so focus won't solve the problem. And misuse scripture won't help us either. And what we need to be aware of, according to the passage, is false teachers, people claiming to be apostles who are not, and people that appear to speak for God but do not. And they just disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So that has nothing to do with being focused in our prayers. Right. And it has nothing to do with our friends, our hurt, our finances, my husband, or anything else. Yes. And over and over, we've warned people through books and sermons and these podcasts and so on. The fact is, there are a lot of people who don't have a husband or don't have finances or, or have lots of money or all of these things are not unique to Christianity. That's true. And all of those things can actually be valid problems without any interference from Satan, too. Right. Again, we talked about this. We need to take our concerns to the throne of grace. God knows what we need more than we do. Exactly. And we don't have to analyze what I'm concerned about and therefore get focused and focus our prayers. What we need to do is believe God's promises. I see that happen happening for me constantly. And if I'm anxious, then the promise that applies is that God and his providence is going to take care of me and I need to focus on his promises, not my problem. Right. And that's true of so many things. Right. And that's the answer that we need is the Bible, the word of God, properly understood, properly believed in, in, in what it actually says, rather than something or some passage that has nothing to do with the topic at hand. So, yes, focus is important. Focus on the promises of God. Amen. And in reading through the chapter of this book, the focus really does become on spiritual warfare and Satan and what he might be doing and how he might be trying to shift our focus. It, it does not at any point remind us to keep our focus on the promises of God. That's typical of most spiritual warfare teachings including those by people that I would generally agree with. But frankly, if we think that we need to figure out what Satan's doing and somehow interact with either Satan or demons or what we think he's doing, 
we will not have victory because these wicked beings that are emissaries of Satan have been in their realm for thousands of years. They've been around deceiving people since before we were around. Um, and frankly, that's not where we get our answer. God's in charge of his own universe. Go to God. Right. We mentioned Job in a, in a previous episode, but we really see that there. Job didn't need to figure out what Satan was doing. He needed to trust God. Yes, and that is the besetting error of most uh, uh, deliverance counselors, curse breakers, prayer teachers that tell us that somehow we need to know what Satan is doing. What we need to do is believe what God said. And by saying this, we're not claiming that we're somehow functional materialists or we have an excluded middle, as some have said, from Fuller Seminary. Um, no, these are real things, but we need to appeal to God. Amen. All right, strategy three, your identity, remembering who you are. If I were your enemy, I devalue your strength and magnify your insecurities until they dominate how you see yourself, disabling and disarming you from fighting back, from being free, from being who God has created you to be. I'd work hard to ensure that you never realize what God has given you, so you'll doubt the power of God within you. Okay, the text for that is Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Do you want to read that? I sure will that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Notice the focus here isn't on what the enemy might do, but is on the promises of God that we need to believe. That's right. Then we need to stand in those promises and we can pray accordingly. Yeah, so this is part of a very important section of Ephesians where Paul is laying out the ground for what he tells us about the church and God, what God has given to us if we truly trust Jesus Christ and him alone. The other problem with a lot of these popular books is the people that buy them many times don't even know Jesus Christ. Right. These, so these promises aren't equally true for everybody. They're not true for everybody because they're written to the church. Yes. And the church isn't a building with stained glass windows with a bunch of people inside. Okay. Here, as I drive not far from our home, I go by various churches that are utterly pagan, and they say so with their signs. Okay. Yeah, there was the one we've talked about a few times that actually put a sign out front that said, we are the world. Very helpful to know. Yeah, and there's another one that far from here that's obviously not Christian. I don't know what they're into, but some sort of uh, 
universalist view that everybody's right just because they're religious or they're not religious. Okay. And so don't be deceived. Churches aren't buildings. They're not just somebody that has the word Christ because there's a lot of false Christ. They're defined in the scripture by those who have turned to Jesus Christ, God the Son, who died for sins, the biblical doctrine of Christ. So the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, knowledge of him, all of these things are defined in the scripture. Okay. So what's our identity? We don't know. If we don't really know Christ and we wanted to buy a book to make sure our prayers get answered, that doesn't mean that for sure we're born of God. Right. And if you didn't already know, you wouldn't have found out through this book. Right. And there's been other versions of this I've wrote about decades ago, really. There was one I wrote about a Christian identity crisis. And I said that ironically. Okay. And so you, there was this uh, book where you practice self-talk. Talk, right. So practice self-talk. I am, I am, I am. Some of those are impertinent because they would only apply, apply to Christ himself. Wow. So it's important to learn what God said in scripture. The author determines the meaning, not the reader. And this is not very helpful if we're going to be confused. I would strongly urge everyone to really study Ephesians 1 and understand what is being said. I, pre I spent some weeks preaching through Ephesians 1 not that long ago. Right. You can find that um, at the Gospel of Grace website, ggf.church, and you can go sermons and by scripture and pull up the Ephesians series. Right. Okay, so strategy four, your family, fortifying the lives of those you love. If I were your enemy, I'd seek to disintegrate your family and destroy every member of it. I'd want to tear away at your trust and unity and turn everyone's love inward on themselves. I would make sure your family didn't look anything like it's supposed to, because then people would look at your Christian marriage, your Christian kids, and see you're no different, no stronger than anyone else. That God underneath it all doesn't really change anything. Wow. Okay. The proof text for that is Genesis 3, 1 through 7. That's Wow. Excuse me. Let me look at that. Well, for one thing, this is the narrative inspired by the Holy Spirit. Moses told us about the fall. Here we have Satan, the serpent speaking to the woman before the fall and enticing her to rebel against God. And then we know she also uh, got Adam to go along with it. So I'll read that. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. Let me stop right there. That's verse, uh, through verse four. Well, she added to what God said and misapplied it. The serpent denied this. And this all happened before the fall. Right. Okay, so everyone born since the fall is born alienated from God. Okay. And most of the problems of application or of theology or eschatology or salvation, whatever you want to talk about, that I see is caused by a lack of belief that the human race is fallen and alienated from God. Right. And so this situation shows what the lie is. You should be like God. You, you won't die. But it doesn't help us as Christians to see how we uh, were against your family. Right. Does that only apply to people that have families? Right. And what if a single person reads this and is a Christian, never had a family, then how does this, how do we know that this has anything to do with that? Well, and I would say, what, a, what about the people who are married to unbelievers or who are unmarried, but grew up in an unbelieving family? I'll, I'll say this, this passage does apply to every single person. Absolutely. And it shows what Paul said is true in 1 Corinthians 15. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. Yes. And so how are you in Adam? What does it take to be in Adam? Just got to be born. Everyone born into the world, though having been created in God's image, is now alienated from God and spiritually dead. You will not die. That's what it says. God knows the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, what I need, Satan's trying to say here, is forbidden knowledge. Right. That God hasn't said, or to try to be like God. And so here we have, it's a long section, but frankly, that's not going to help you by taking that verse and not even expounding it, not telling us how it applies, not telling us why it applies, and what it has to do with our situation. So this is just bracketed proof texting without even expounding the passage. Exactly. There's, there's nothing about that passage in this chapter at all. And how does that help us know anything? I mean, there's a lot of material in the New Testament about how people who know God have issues with children, spouses, relationships. This passage isn't going to help, although it's essential. But if you're not going to expound it, if you're not going to help us understand it, this is utterly confusing. Absolutely. And of course, we're not saying don't pray for your husband or don't pray for your unsaved family, or I mean, we should and we do. But this is this passage does not prove what she've said. She said in this chapter, I would suggest that the big problem is throwing out Bible verses so people think you did your work, never expounding them, never allowing anyone to debate you about whether the passage means what you're saying it means. Mm -hmm. And oh, this is what I need to do, it must be from the Bible, right? 
it's, it's really important to get the author's intent. The Holy Spirit inspired the biblical authors. And there's nothing more powerful than what God did say, and nothing more confusing than saying God said something, but it doesn't even apply. Right. And, you know, there's an awful lot of good passages in scripture, and especially in the New Testament, about our families and about husbands and wives and about children. There's plenty of material there that actually does apply. I don't even see the sense in taking one that doesn't. In a long haul, that's how we said it in Iowa. Okay. Up on a farm in Iowa. As we go along, the more often we allude to passages without really digging down to what the meaning is and the bigger picture, which this passage is important, it shows that we're fallen, that what the temptations are, are repeated elsewhere, and that we need to not go beyond what is written. She added to scripture, Eve did when she was tempted, and it doesn't really apply that God wants to preserve our families. We're looking at the wrong section, and we're not making good applications. That's right. And now I, I, I will give her credit for at the end of the chapter, she does actually cite some verses that do apply to us that are about family and marriage. And that's good, but it's tacked on to the end of a chapter that is just based on misapplied scripture. And of course, we're not doubting that there is an attack on families. You don't have to look very far in this world to see that, but we don't need misapplied scripture to know that that we need to pray for our family and we need to be promoting a biblical view of family. That's very right, Jessica. You know, what's more powerful? Here's the question for everyone to ask themselves and look at the scripture. What's more powerful? What the Holy Spirit said and and apply it accurately to the situation? Or an allusion to scripture, various scriptures that may or may not apply, but it makes me feel better because it seems like it's answering my felt need. Right. We need the word of God properly applied. And we need to, actually, I was making notes as we were going along here, along with each strategy. So strategy one, she says, against your passion, we said, stand in truth. Strategy two, she said, against your focus, we said no truth. Strategy three, against your identity, we said stand on the promises. And strategy four, against your family, well, we say rightly define a biblical family, read the verses that apply to family, and and pray accordingly. Amen. All right. That's very important. Yep. So here I thought we were going to get through 10 strategies today, and we made it through four. So we will come back next week and discuss the rest of these. So we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles and a brand new one if you haven't seen it yet at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. 
and Bob D. Wade. We'll see you next week.